What's up, everybody? This is Zach. I'm coming to you with a new episode. This is a collaborative episode with the Pwned Podcast, which is a podcast of uh, one of our partner companies that we work with, New Harbor Security. Uh, if you need any cybersecurity stuff, we highly recommend them. Uh, we just worked with them on a recent project in California. Awesome company, uh, specializes in public sector uh cybersecurity stuff. Uh, they do all sorts of cool things. Uh, we use them for a penetration test um, on a security system. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the vulnerabilities and challenges of cybersecurity in emergency management, public safety. Uh, this week, we're kind of going over like, what are the challenges that currently exist? We're going to do another episode later with uh, some solutions and maybe how to solve some of these problems. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, but first, real quick, uh, please like, subscribe, uh, thumbs up, five stars, give us all that. Um, and also make sure you visit our sponsors, uh, Doberman Emergency Management, our sort of host organization, The Readiness Lab, uh, www.thereadinesslab.com, uh, and L3Harris. L3Harris has been a longtime uh, Readiness Lab sponsor, um, and we're doing some really, really cool stuff with them. Got some cool uh, radios that we're going to do an episode on in the near future to sort of talk about some uh, communications and other technologies that we can use in emergency management. But for now, which we actually, there's a cameo of this of these radios in the uh, upcoming episode. Oh, geez. Um, good news. These things are rugged. They won't break. Um, so yeah, for now, uh, enjoy the episode and let us know your thoughts. Okay. Back again with very special episode blast from the past guest actually former host now guest zach borst oh yeah back i'm back (laughs) i'm back what's up everybody the future in front of me (laughs) yeah uh yep here for here for for one show and one show only this is this could last for a long time (laughs) so in in enjoy it while while the band's back together yeah. All right. So Zach, um, everybody who's listened to Pwned or has been listening to Pwned knows and loves you. Um, but for uh, my favorite, yeah. uh, give yourself some credit. Just just roll with it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, for everybody that's new to the episode um, and all the followers we've we've amassed since the time that uh, you've you've been pursuing other interesting opportunities. Um, Zach was a former host of Pwned, my partner in crime for co-host. I mean, you definitely still led the ship. I just got to like dab. Yeah. All right. All right. I, 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 I think it's more than that, but, um, (laughs) but you're, you, you were the fabric of, of our production for, for a long time, but now you're back. What yep. what have you been up to? All right, so uh, I left. So it's kind of funny. I I explain this to people when you know I'm kind of talking about what I did in the past. That I left a job that I loved, and I told you all this at the time. But what happened was I got hired the day that the entire country shut down. I think literally my starting date was March 13th, 2020, mm. and everything shut down. And I had 
left, I got burned out as an emergency manager at a previous position. I wanted to do something really cool and different. And I found this amazing company in Colchester that was looking for a, uh, a geek, a video and audio geek to help them kind of beef up their podcast. Uh, and so I worked for you all. And then about a year into it, I was like, this is the biggest disaster in recent human history. And I've not got the company in Colchester. Just for our listeners, you're not saying <laughs> not you're not talking about the company Colchester, yeah. right? COVID. <laughs> in case uh, any of you have lived under a rock for the last, uh, you know, three years, uh, there's a pandemic that surged through the planet, um, and in particular the Northeast, uh, while I was at New Harbor. And so, I sort of felt this calling to go do this, and I got hired by another company to help with. Uh, Project Warp Speed, which was the trying to get the vaccine out and providing intelligence analysis and some other really cool stuff. And it was, again, it was like, I had to use these skills that I had because we were in the middle of a, a disaster, a real disaster. Um, and then I let and then thankfully, it actually happened too, because I also got called up from my military side and disappeared for six months to actually work in clinics and get people vaccinated. Um, and like set up hospitals and all this other crazy stuff that we were doing across the country. Um, and then when that sort of settled out, uh, it was like almost two years later. So 22. And I was like, uh, I need to keep doing emergency management stuff. So I found this dude, John Scardina, who owns Doberman Emergency Management. And we we're like, hey, we're both doing really cool stuff. And I want to keep doing cool stuff. And so he hired me up. So that's what I've been doing. And we do all sorts of cool emergency management stuff. We're really a, uh, we kind of joke that we're like a design company that does emergency management. Like we're trying to be like very cutting edge, uh, leading innovation in emergency management. And one of those areas that we we're really interested in was like cybersecurity and public safety. And uh, so the, to tie this into a knot here or a bow, uh, we, because we had a project with a, with a large school system and we wanted to uh, test out some security of their, their security. I was like, I know just the people. And I reached back out to my old stomping grounds and I was like, get the team together. We're going to go do some cool cyber stuff. And uh, so you all uh, put together your team and started doing some uh, pen testing on a, on a large college campus to see if their uh, security and camera system uh, hold up. And then it got me thinking like, wow, we should probably talk about this because this was a, this was a campus that, you know, has, has a very good uh, security footprint and planning and, and design. And I know that's not the case around the country. And so how do we as emergency managers and public safety folks do better? And so that's sort of, that's like the, the onus of all of this is like, I want to do better. And I know the people who can help us do better. That's yeah. you all. So, well, thank you for bringing the team back together, Zach. Um, oh, it was awesome. It was so cool to be on the calls and like get to chat to people and faces I hadn't seen in so long. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't talked to them recently, they have some more news for you. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, good. Yeah, no. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'm in on that yeah. one as well. Yes. Um, it's, it's interesting. We had, um, we had talked about uh, it's this similar top topic. Um, 
think it was episode 140 in season two. Um, and it was uh, generally speaking about the idea of saying um, in the course of uh, public notifications and emergency management infrastructure, um, kind of heading into the world that we knew as COVID, um, in order to reach the most amount of people, you kind of have to meet them where they are and they are in the digital ethers. Right. And so yeah. the, the sh- very short version of like what we talked about was, um, emergency management, um, like historical techniques of mass communications, radios, notification systems originated out of an analog space. Right. Oh, yeah, but 100%. in order to meet people where they are, like required some evolution of of that technology backbone and that infrastructure backbone. So we have core notification infrastructure and uh, community coordination um, techniques that um, are evolving. Right? They're yeah. they're going from old old mechanisms, old say dated data mechanisms. Um, and just trying to integrate with the services that, that we have today, which is, um, comes, comes with its own challenges, but also some benefits as well. And I was curious, like in your travels here between past company and National Guard and where you're at now, have you, is that, uh, is, is that still the case? Is that what you're seeing today? Yeah. So I would say there's a lot less innovation than, I think we'd like to think. Uh, so what is often happening is we're taking digital sort of interfaces and piggybacking them onto analog systems. So versus, you know, basically designing a system from start to finish where you kind of know where all of your touch points are. Uh, it's like taking these old legacy systems and then trying to jam them into the internet. <laughs> And so when that happens, you have varying degrees of success for sure. Mm-hmm. So one main thing, like our iPod system, this is the integrated public uh, alert and warning system. This is, this is what drives all of your, your messages that scroll along the bottom of your TV. It's how you get your text message alerts. Those are called WIAs. That's the wireless emergency alerting system. The, the scrolling message is um, called uh, EAS, emergency alert system. Um, you know, these are systems that have sort of function, you know, we as re- newer, but like it's still limited to 360 characters and in some cases, 90 characters, depending on like what level of text message you have. The EAS systems, I mean, I honestly don't think in my house right now I could receive an EAS message other than a weather radio that I've got somewhere. I, you know, that I usually take out during severe weather season, but like it's not where most people are able to. So we're trying to like, like you're saying, connect these dots, and it's really, really hard. Uh, on the other side, you've got, like on the public responder and the emergency manager side, we also have to, we're trying to make our systems more robust and more connected and interoperable. And again, we're taking old radio systems, for instance, and essentially plugging them, you know, forcing them onto the internet using, uh, in some cases, like kind of, you know, archaic connections. And then in other ways, like you can build really nice, robust, highly advanced systems. But like in a lot of cases, you just don't have the budget for that in one foul swoop. So they kind of like mix it to begin with, with the hope that someday down the line, they'll be able to like move everything over. Um, And so 
I just see this as like this giant hodgepodge of like new technology, old technology. And anytime you're trying to like make these things work, you're just opening yourself up to these like huge vulnerabilities because, you know, the old technology in some ways was more secure, like uh, POTS telephone, the plain old, mm -hmm. you know, telephone uh, lines. Um, it's hard to sort of hack copper, right? <laughs> like you can, you can cut it and like kind of break it, but like, it's not like the same as like a VoIP system where, you know, you can spoof numbers, you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, all those like swatting calls and stuff now, those are all sort of being driven by VoIP and, you know, running over, you know, however they're coming from the overseas, uh, you know, starting points to the US. Uh, I don't know how that works, but like, it's a system that is not really working very well. And it has huge impacts on our public safety. Um, because, you know, we don't always track the, um, the unintended consequences of these systems as we're as we're adopting them. Um, and we jam stuff in, right? Like where we find a, a, a especially emergency response, like you have these knee jerk reactions after a disaster, you're like, we have to fix this. So you get a bunch of money. And you quickly cobble something together because everyone is upset and they feel vulnerable and they're scared. And we want to do the best thing that we can. And so you jam some system together because you're like, this is what's going to, you know, we're, we've solved it. And then, you know, a couple of years go down the line, we become complacent again, contracts expire, there's no money to maintain it, there's no technical expertise to sort of maintain it in house. And it just sits there and festers until something bad happens. So, and yeah. then and then then you realize Justin has stolen all the car copper from here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I that's is uh, my understanding is that's uh, how New Harbor's funded now. Is you guys have just been like, this is not lucrative. Cybersecurity is not lucrative. We're just going to steal <laughs> copper. Right. We're just going to raid. We changed the logo to CU Harbor, right? Because that's the copper. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about it as well, I mean, you guys are talking a lot about the intersection of some of the necessary technologies, right? And emergency management and how you have the information that's necessary. But just to give you sort of the pragmatic perspective from like today, going back a few years, uh, don't forget there's been like dozens and dozens of attacks against 9-11 infrastructure that have succeeded. Yeah. Right. I was able to pick up yeah. 42 of them between 18, 2018 and 2020. Right. And some they have all sorts of different sources, which is interesting, right? Sometimes it's ransomware, yeah. wham, 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 something shut down. Sometimes it's distributed now service, you know, there's flooding the system, so you can't make any calls. Pretty terrible. And I remember in the dark ages back in uh, 2001, as we were all worried about how to prevent, you know, the next you know, round of those style of attacks. One of the big worries coming out of New York City was had the team that decided to fly the planes in actually taken the time to execute what would have been a relatively straightforward denial of service against 911, that disaster would have been completely out of control. Because we don't realize yeah. how important 911 is. 911 services are to people when something bad is happening. Sometimes just the capability to pick up a phone and talk to somebody avoids panic. Right. And we've seen across oh, the yeah. country, you know, notably, um, I think it was in February. Uh, there was a denial of service attack. There's been one against uh, Suffolk County, against uh, Erie County, oh, yep, yep, right? And yep. the, you've got people working 911 because they can actually pick up the phone, but they're using pencils and papers because there's no way to get to dispatch, right? And yeah. so when I think about the good work and hard work and brave work that's done by emergency management folk everywhere and first responders, you know, one of the biggest risks we have is we're not even going to get to them. We're not even going to know what information to look for. 
Well, and just the, like you're, you're hitting on some things that are really important. Um, so the 911 systems around this country, again, are in various states. Like those tending, those systems get purchased like in giant rounds of yeah. money, right? Like, so a lot of the consoles, like in the state of Vermont, like they made a transition from like essentially an analog system to a digital system to a more modern system. They only do that like a couple times over the course of like a mm. decade, right? Like, cause it's a lot of money and it's really complex um, and so, yeah, those systems get swapped and then, uh, everything sort of changes, but for, there's this period of time where like you're running on old stuff mm. and, um, when it breaks down, uh, there's no backups, you know, like we're work. That's one of the new things is like, there's definitely a lot more redundancy than there used to be. And that's one of the advantages of sort of moving towards the digital, uh, you know, version of what we're doing in response. But there's a lot of places where like, if a 911 center is basically shut off, uh, there isn't another 911 center. You you have to hope that you can somehow route it, um, and there is rollover. But like it can't if you get a if you get an attack and a you know ransomware shuts down one, and then there's a DDoS attack on the other, you can collapse the entire system very quickly. Um, and it's scary. Like you said, the Suffolk County one. I actually know someone who, you know. It, it, there's the scary side of it, which is like 911 doesn't work. But then there's like just simple government operations, you know, like he couldn't get his marriage license. Hmm. And so he was stuck waiting, trying to figure it out and had to do everything manually. And then you got to wonder like, okay, you're doing it on pen and paper. How, you know, especially for Suffolk County, the size oh gosh, of that yeah. county and how many people live there, how much of that stuff is actually going to make it back into the records when everything's said and done. Yeah. Um, and we had a huge attack up right in uh, New Harbor's headquarters backyard, the um, University of Vermont Medical System, uh, their main hospital was shut down for months. Uh, you know, they they were doing everything by hand. And when it happened, they literally overnight had to go, we have to relearn how to chart people and keep track of medications. You're doing math in your head now, like that maybe you haven't done in a long time. Uh, and so that's a huge risk to people. And it doesn't take a uh you know one of the um oh man i was going to use all the cool terms and i forgot a lot of my what's the persistent threat uh people like what do, what do you call them APGs? like the APGs? yes an APT. dang i was so close uh so it doesn't have to be an apt group right it can be uh it can be just some uh you know i mean a perfect example the the recent leak of all the classified documents this was not done by some huge organization. It was an IT guy that worked, you know, in the intelligence wing in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, and he had access to these systems and it's the human factor that just acts, you know, I mean, he's, he's publishing on, he's, making, he's, he's publishing on Discord, on right? I mean, meh. right. He was trying to impress yeah. his like, you know, loser buddies. Me. Cause it's like a white supremacist discord, yeah. but like he was just trying to impress his dumb friends and he released all this stuff. That's just an idiot, right? Like, imagine what a smart person with real nefarious intentions can do to our critical infrastructure. Okay, on that note, it's been a great episode of Pwned. Yep. All right, yep. I'll catch you next time. <laughs> wow. Just wrapped it up quick. Zach, do you remember um, uh, a couple of years ago? Um, uh, it was probably longer than a couple of years ago. There was a big push to move off of uh, analog digital TV or sorry, analog TV signals. And there was a big push to saying all, all TV will be only served by digital means. Right. And I can't, I, yeah. I, I can't forget, like, um, I, I can't remember the name of the law that was enacted, but um, there was a whole like country readiness thing, but this is like, 
federal law that said by this time, like it's going to be cut over and the TV signal that you used to know and love is going to be converted to this type of medium. And if you want to continue watching it, you need to convert. Is there, is there anything like that happening with um, some of the legacy emergency management infrastructure? A hundred percent. So analog radio. So here's a perfect example. I've got actually two, uh, I can give a shout out to one of my sponsors, L3 Harris radios. (laughs) Uh, This is a XL 200 radio uh, and it does digital and analog because that is kind of how it works. The digital side of this though, and a lot of agencies are moving to digital. uh, So there's a couple different standards. There's P25, uh, which is essentially an open source uh, encryption uh, codec and uh, like transport method that's used for radio communications. Um, and you can actually, I think, download it. It's like, it's anyone, you could use it for other stuff you wanted to. It's used on like emergency side as well as like um, amateur radio side and stuff. The advantage of that is you get uh, potentially more use out of your radio system, right? Like, cause you're sending digital packets versus like big chunks of voice, you know, in the old analog way uh, that takes up lots of sort of bandwidth. And you can do more with it. And it, in theory, is much more secure. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's better. Like, you actually can get more range out of your radio. The, some people don't like the sound of it because it turns you kind of robotic in your voice and stuff. Um, but basically, if you're getting any signal, you can get all the way to the tail end of that signal, and people will still be able to hear you. On the analog side, you can go a little bit further, but it sounds like crap. And the old timers really like the analog. Like, you know, it's just, I'm always, you know, change is bad. Um, but... Someone with a with a radio on the analog side who has the the input frequency and the code, you know, CTS or some other CTSS or some other code that opens up the repeater can just sit here, push the button, and you shut down the entire radio system. And this happens all the time, especially in systems that are like quasi public safety, quasi, um, you know, uh, open to like the public. Um, so, for example, VHF radios. So, if you're on a boat, you have to have a VHF radio. And channel 16 is the emergency channel. And all of the Coast Guard stations in the entire country have to monitor channel 16. And they can repeat it around. They can, like, you know, they have receivers all over the place that that goes to their rescue coordination centers. Um, And in our area, in the Lake Champlain area, there was someone a few years ago, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they were going around and basically holding the radio open on channel 16 and shutting down that channel for emergencies. And that's how every single vessel in the uh, in the U.S. anyways is communicating emergencies on that. So was that a, was that a, a marine salvage company, Zach? Is that a What's marine that? salvage company? That would seem to sort of make sense. <laughs> I'm sure. Boat's sure. leaking. Yeah. Boat's leaking. Yeah. So I can hear you. Yeah, we're like, leaking. Yeah. Great. We're, uh, business is good. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, that was um, uh, if that was a couple of years ago. That could have been uh, it could have been the t- test that we did on the maritime system. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably Randy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so those, you know, just that little like, uh, you know, push the button, shut it down. Uh, analog is really easy to sort of do it. Now, P25, you have a higher level, like there's different codes, like you can't get into the system as easily. But what they've done with this is also start to make the transport of this stuff over digital as well. So like you hit the repeater, you know, on digital, and then it's going over essentially an internet connection to other repeaters. And that's how you build out your system. Um, where before it was microwave, right? It was radio to radio. So it was kind of like you owned everything. And now you sort of like 
you've increased the level of security, maybe kept more people out, but you've added so much complexity to the system that it's really, really hard to fix it when it breaks. And it's not something like I in the old days, and this is, I think, why a lot of the sort of like older school emergency re responders and managers like analog, I could go down to a repeater and like turn it off, turn it on and be like, oh, it, it's fixed or it's broken, mm -hmm. right? Like it's very mm -hmm. easy to sort of fix that. Uh, with a digital system, you've got numerous interfaces. It, it, it's passing through hardware and software, changing formats, going out. And it's just there's so much complexity. Um, and in every part of that complexity, I think that's where the vulnerability is, right? Like if someone decides to, you know, one of the new Harbor hackers decides to go into the component that receives the radio signal and then broadcast it over the line, they could just turn that device off, right? Or they could turn it into a botnet for something, or they could do whatever they want to, to sort of like cut that off. And it was, that was a little bit harder in the old days. Like, yes, you could stand here with a radio and, and blast it out, but we could also triangulate that eventually. Like if it was really a crisis, we just take a few radios and we kind of figure out where you are generally and we beat you up. Um, and now that's a lot harder. So uh, it's, it's like in some ways we're, we're moving forward, but in other ways, like we haven't really solved necessarily the, the biggest issues with this. And that's part of it is like, as you start to connect things to the internet, yes, you're opening up to other stuff and it becomes more technical. And a lot of us are not that technical and it makes it really challenging. But imagine a radio system like New York cities or, or Boston's, you know, these huge, um, you know, systems that are connected to tons of repeaters and stuff. And you figure out a way to just blast, you know, crappy eighties music on every single channel. Um, and you've completely stopped all response in the city. Like, I don't know that we could quickly go to any other way, mm -hmm. you know, telephones, like, you know, they have old like tinker tape, you know, alarm systems, uh, that still sort of function, but like you're dead in the water very quickly. Yeah. Um, Zach, you like you're you're super well connected in the emergency management space, and you talk to a whole bunch of people across the country on these topics. When this flavor of conversation comes up, right? Of how do we solve the problems of tomorrow? Like, are you are you making recommendations to people, or have you seen a general consensus or direction of how people are thinking about solving this? I think so. I think the, the, you know, like our, my generation of emergency management and responder grew up with the internet. And so we're sort of like versed in it. The generation that's going to replace me is super knowledgeable and super experienced in it and comfortable with technological change. The challenges that are, are, I think from all the people that I talk to, there's, there's a list of challenges, right? Budget. There's never enough money. Like we have so many different threats and concerns that we're facing. And because of like our country's sort of knee jerk reaction to disasters, we throw money at like the immediate reactionary problem instead of being proactive in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm speaking very generally, like there's obviously there's radio systems and emergency management agencies and, and police and fire and EMS agencies that are like crushing it, like good luck trying to get into their stuff. But there's way, 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 way more that are operating on shoestring budgets, on ancient technology, on unmaintained software and hardware, uh, you know, that are open to anything uh, for attack. And, and we've really basically just gotten away with it from pure damn luck. Like there's, there's no, it's not strategy, it's not an approach, it's just like a wing and a prayer. And so I think 
you have some new strategies like FEMA has has tried like again it's a federal bureaucracy so it's they can only do so much innovation like it's really challenging with some of these agencies to sort of move them but FEMA and DHS like there's CISA um, that does a lot of like you know cool work in trying to secure agencies FEMA has identified uh, you know these community lifelines that are very much connected to cyber and and the internet and you know all of the sort of like iot stuff and everything else that like we're using as responders um but it's expensive right like technology is expensive and the way that our country works every single jurisdiction can do its own thing if it wants to so unless states and the federal government start to say like no this is how we're this is our infrastructure for response then you're going to have just this gigantic piecemeal response. That's why this radio exists. This is 700, 800, uh, VHF, and UHF, four different bands, because as a responder, if you're driving into a, uh, a jurisdiction that neighbors you, they may be using a totally different radio system on a different frequency and different technology. And rather than all of us say, hey, why don't we use the same system or, or, or combine these systems in some way that makes sense so that we're sharing resources and possibly, you know, kind of centralizing some of the security and safety of it. We all do our own thing. And then we have to buy really, really expensive, highly technical fixes, right? Band-Aids to make it work. And that's what happens. And while this is great, I love it. I'm a huge toy guy. Um, it's hard. Like I, I happen to be a radio geek, so I know how to change all between this, but like some people don't want to do that. They just want to push the button and get help. Right. Exactly. So we're not really fixing anything. Exactly. Can I ask the question a different way? Sure. So yeah, yeah, I want to give credit where credit's due, but I also want to assign responsibility where responsibility ought to be assigned. You've got folks who are working their asses off in emergency management, trying to figure out the best way to help the most people when things are really, really yeah. shitty. Right. Um, and they're buying technologies, products, services from organizations who say, hey, dudes, I'm the right solution for you, right? Yeah. But it sounds like they're not, right? It sounds as they're like, hi, I'm a bank, and I'm the right place for you to put your money. Do you have a safe? Not so much, but we have really good customer service, right? Like, yeah, yeah. not so much taking my money. Um, how do we help the emergency management purchasing population understand that they should be able to demand that these things work the way you just described, right? You just said, I think the perfect thing, you can use these technologies yeah. to work together, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Because honestly, I don't have your confidence in the next generation, not because they're not brilliant, <laughs> not because they're not brilliant, but we have worked really, really hard, fossils, right? And semi-fossils yeah. such as yourself to improve the yeah. usability of technology, which means they I'm are fossil, further and correct. further and further away from the core of the problem. So the idea that somebody's yeah. up here is going to say, oh, there's a pee under the mattress. I'm going to go work on that. No, not so much. They can be like, yeah, oh, it just doesn't work the way I expected it to. Right. And so I'm wondering, is there a way we can help as security people advise the folks in emergency management, especially in state and local where Justin and I spend a ton of time, right? Help advise them in terms of defining requirements that'll make them better prepared to demand what they really deserve. Because the hard part of their job shouldn't be the tech. Sure. A hundred percent. I mean, that's that's sort of what it gets that's like the the meat and potatoes of this, right? Like at the end of the day, we're just trying to like do the job and everything else is supposed to be like the force multiplier so that we can do the job faster, more efficient. Uh, and hopefully that ultimately results in lives right saved, property, you know, protected environment not being destroyed. But we also operate in a system that I know you guys fight with, and that is lowest bidder, uh, you know, um, contracts, because when you're going for equipment, I mean, this is, this is like inevitable, like you want to build this amazing system 
and then you get slapped in the face because you're like that amazing system you know is this much but then someone under you know undersells uh the contract or the bid and the people who are making the purchases are like well this one saves us this much it still is doing everything in our rfp so why would we not go with that and i saw this in action in a radio system specifically locally where i was basically tasked to help rebuild this radio system and I'm looking at the legacy equipment and it was like shoestring bubble gum and duct tape holding this thing together. Did it meet the RFP? Technically, yes. Did they save a ton of money? A hundred percent. Did it work? Not for yeah. shit. <laughs> it was so, awful. So and, what you're highlighting is, right, is there's a problem in the RFP, right? Because they obviously said yes. this thing must be able to communicate and it can use shoestrings yep. and bubble gum, what have you, right? And it didn't say it's got to be effing secure. That's a, like a baseline. Yeah. I'm just thinking a baseline requirement of emergency management is it can manage things during emergencies, which means it's resilient, which means by its nature, it has some cybersecurity in it to make it so. Yeah. But it feels as though if their RFPs are being satisfied by people with a roll of duct tape and no care about cybersecurity, maybe the RFPs are flawed, is the flaw. Oh, it, yeah, certainly. I think it, it could be. Uh, and that's that's where like I think the challenge is like, you know, when you're it's not like the IT department's ordering this stuff, right. right? Like it's usually, uh, it's a person who maybe has a highly technical background, maybe doesn't. And they're trying to think of it as like a solution to an mm -hmm. issue. So they're going to write and sort of plan this for like, this is what I'm trying to do. I don't know all the bells and whistles. And again, that's where like these new higher, more complex systems become really challenging. Cause if you're not really read into mm -hmm. this, you've got no idea what you're asking for. You know, like I want a radio system and I, I know radios like the, there's all sorts of systems that we use. We use uh, software for management, like incident management software, sure. the web EOCs, noggins, VOCs, Futurity IT, uh, all these companies that do that type of stuff. There's alerting systems, uh, mass notification. That's all software based. And what you're trying to do usually as an emergency manager is like, oh, I need to reach all of the people in my town. So I need an emergency mass notification system that can do telephone calls, hit iPods, EAS, WEA, social media, all this stuff. And so that's what you ask for, because you're not the technical expert. And you get a piece of software that does that technically, but you have no idea what's going on in the back end of that to determine whether or not that's secure. For a large city or a large county that's got a lot of budget, they probably have an IT department that can like help review stuff and sort of like poke and prod. Um, but you may also like the, these systems are needed in every community in the country, right? You might have someone who is a single person shop. They have no IT support whatsoever. They were given money through a grant to spend and it is all on them to figure this out. And that is a like completely unrealistic expectation for that to go well. And there's plenty of people who make it work every single day and do a fantastic job. Uh, but you're like, your odds of success are just so much lower um, without those resources. And I don't really know like how you solve that. I mean, like, again, like CISA has done a really good job of sort of like translating a lot of the complex security threats into ways that first responders and emergency managers and like the administrators of those agencies can understand. I think that's a huge step is like demystifying it, if you will. Um, but like, I consider myself pretty, you know, knowledgeable in, in, in this stuff. And when I was hanging out at the New Harbor offices, I'm often like, I was like, Oh my God, these people are speaking a different language. I thought I was like, I thought I was in the mix. And then they start, it's like, if I can't understand this, you know, how is the, you know, the, the person who has absolutely no technical knowledge of this supposed to do it? 
And then of course, like, you know, marketing, like you can get tricked into it. Like you do people say the right things and, and it makes it sound like it's awesome. It's the whole point of marketing, right? Is to get you to, to start checking those boxes before you even know you're doing it. Um, and to buy the system that maybe you don't need or want. We'll, we'll ignore the mass disparagement of marketing as a function. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is the marketer still listening to this? Yeah. We... <laughs> it's, a, it's a tribute to good marketing when we see it. Right on. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Um, Zach, I, I, I have one last question for you. Sure. It, is, um, it is fiendishly complex. <laughs> and I want you to be ready for it. Okay. And I'm if so you excited. need if you need to take a couple couple seconds to think about it, I understand. Yeah, let me drink some water. I've been talking yeah. a lot. While while you do that, my question is, should I keep the CB radio whip attached to my car in the event of a zombie apocalypse? A hundred percent. Yeah. At the end of the day, so these the so CB radios you know, are a relatively low band uh, and they're pretty simple to operate and they can reach a really long distance. Uh, you know, I, I would argue for anyone listening to this, so we're talking about like the large complex systems, but you as a end user are part of this, this issue, right? Like how are you going to receive alerts? How are you going to communicate an emergency uh, because again, if first responders, emergency managers, all the systems are up and running, but you're not aware that there's a tornado or an alien apocalypse bearing down on you, none of that matters because you're going to become a victim and then we're going to have to figure out how to come rescue you. So, uh, it's a funny, I know it's like a funny thing, but like, it's a perfect prompt for like, yeah, like this is, this, this is what makes this complex is it's like, there's the lowest common denominator is always going to be like the person at the, you know, whatever the last mile of this. Yeah. Um, and so you buy all this software, you buy all this hardware, you secure it, but it doesn't get the message or the, you know, the, the communication to the people who need it, then who cares? Yeah. Kind of a you, you, you nailed that Zach, by the way, it's, um, I, I kind of see it. And what well, I mean, talking about emergency management technology is, um, there's a piece of it that feels like a shared responsibility model Yeah, yeah. between yeah. businesses and consumers or entities and consumers. I and as an emergency manager, you know, like I had a, I got slapped in the face very recently. We had a huge windstorm over Christmas, uh, you know, uh, weekend and it knocked out power and everything. Losing power, not a huge deal. Like, uh, you know, a lot of people have backup power. And even if you don't, like you can manage, like, you know, do the old fashioned way like they did in the barns, you know, you just pile everyone together and throw enough blankets on, you'll survive. But one thing that I realized, I was outside, the wind's blowing, I'm trying to help my neighbor catches trampoline as it's shooting across the yard and i was like i haven't gotten a text message or a phone call from anyone in a long time and this is like a pretty major event it's very weird that i'm not hearing from people and i start texting people nothing i try calling people nothing i have no internet i have nothing and i was like holy crap i'm on an island right now and we were like well what do we like so as a neighborhood like thankfully we all know each other and get along we're like what do we do if something happens here? And so it was like the old fashioned, we're going to fly down to the fire station and hope someone's in there uh, and tell them there's an emergency. Uh, so again, like having all these, uh, like we're so individually, you know, connected to the internet and reliant on like just having those networks uh, that when we lose it, you know, it's, it's a network of networks that collapses. So 
it is really incumbent on everyone to sort of think about this problem and to make sure that like when you're, you know, be involved in your community, like talk to your, like if you're, uh, you have to vote on this stuff. Like this stuff doesn't, you're not spending tens of millions of dollars on the system and not having some say in it. Either your representatives are writing the check or someone is. Make sure that when they're reviewing these systems, if you've got expertise or knowledge or you just don't want your tax dollars wasted, that you have a voice in this and you communicate like, this system has got to work for me as well. Because uh, I think this is a this is the plight of everyone, right? Like who's in a decision maker role is like you have your own biases and perceptions and stuff. So you're buying for what you need and what you think you need, but you might not be buying for like everybody else that's actually going to be impacted by it. And that's the challenge. Like when you talk about upgrading a radio system, there's a lot of people who are in these giant networks of radio systems who do, can't afford the new radio. So what do they do? You know, they have to piecemeal it in. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. I've, there's a lot of doomsday I've talked about. There is a lot of stuff that is going well, by the way. Like, again, there are agencies now that are responsible for helping these, uh, you know, first response and emergency agencies to do better. There is some funding, like they're trying to spend more and more funding to sort of help make more robust systems. But we're just so, it's like you're plugging, you know, a couple holes on a sinking ship. And that's where I think it gets overwhelming. And then in a lot of cases, people are just like, screw it. Like, it's too hard to even comprehend how I'm going to fix this. So I'm just going to hope. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. It's like one of my favorite yeah. sayings. Zach, this, is, um, this, has been, this has been awesome. It's been super good to catch up with you on all these topics. If someone listening to this wants to get in touch with you, how, how should they do that? Uh, I'm, uh, you can ca reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is Zach.Borst at Doberman EMG.com. Uh, EM weekly is my podcast. I'm going to rebroadcast this podcast on my podcast. It's a podcast podcast. Uh, and I'm going to blow you guys up as well. Make sure everyone knows who New Harbor is. I'm sure they all know. I mean, that's come on. Uh, but like, you know, uh, yeah, happy to reach out. I love talking to other uh, evangelists of, you know, good technology and good strategy for public safety. Um, yeah, social media, EM Weekly. I think it's at EM underscore weekly on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I want to have this conversation. I mean, this is, we have to continue this conversation too. We've only talked about the like where we're at. I think we should talk about where, we, where we're going in the future. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good one. A good, uh, good reason to do this again segue if you will yeah um again zach thank you jack any anything in closing here no i just love the fact that we actually had a conversation about the kinetic and the technical coming together which is uniquely an emergency management discussion that we don't have near enough so i'm just really grateful to zach for bringing that perspective to us because you and i were typically you know jabbering on in the ether so it's it's nice to get some <laughs> uh, some real world in the metaverse the things we're doing yeah 100 so thanks yeah. for being along yeah Oh, I, I, I appreciate that. And I hope more people as they listen to this think of, of that other side of the conversation. Like, yeah, you can feel the heat uh, on this side, but uh, without you all sort of helping to secure and, and move us forward, it's only going to get worse. So uh, we want to do better. That's what we need you folks for, which means calling people like New Harbor and stuff, bring them into the fold as you're doing these discussions about systems you want to buy. Have them evaluate it. I know you guys do Have that. Have them help so. you write the RFP. That would be a great idea. I don't think any emergency manager on the planet is going to say, like, I don't want help with an there RFP. So. Yeah. Well, awesome. Guys, this has been great. Um, folks listening to this, if you enjoyed this episode, please 
like and share and help us spread the good word of Pwned and EM Weekly. Uh, if you have questions, uh, you can find us at pwned.newharborsecurity.com and we will get you on the next episode. Thank you guys.